Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Cross Culture Podcast, where we have conversations to help Christian leaders create a cross culture in their church. Wherever you're listening from, we hope that this conversation helps you take the next step of embracing God's beautiful, diverse vision for your church. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back to the Cross Culture Podcast. My name is Philip. I'm the pastor of Radiant Church, and I am flying solo today. Uh, last time we had a guest, and typically I have my co-host, uh, Will Plunk, pastor of Grace City Church. But today I thought I would take an opportunity to kind of lay down some track for where we're going. Uh, we are about to, after laying down several weeks of foundation and kind of working through the language of what we communicate and what we're trying to be as a cross-culture church and a cross-culture organization. And so today I want to kind of do one more piece of laying down some foundation before we get to some practical realities of how to build a cross-culture church or a cross-culture organization. So today I want to talk about the three necessary qualifications for those who want to start cross-culture churches. So I'm looking at the church planters in the room. If you want to plant a cross-culture, a multi-ethnic cross-cultural church, or uh, I'll even extend this towards existing pastors who want to transition their church in that direction, I believe that you, the leader needs to have three additional qualities beyond the biblical qualification for the office of elder. I think you need three things. Let me give you those three, and then I want to unpack those uh, for you in just a few moments. So what are the three things that you as a leader or a planter of a church or organization who wants to become a cross-cultural organization, what do you personally need to have? Number one, you need a cultural awareness. Two, you need theological humility. And three, you need a liturgical inclusivity. Liturgical inclusivity. Now, let's unpack one of those. This is going to be primarily geared towards the church, but if you are a CEO business owner that wants to kind of embrace some of these things, you're going to have to do a little bit of translation because this is really aimed at leaders, lead pastors in a church setting. We've talked a lot about the realities uh, that need to be present in your church, the realities that need to be present in your experience. We've talked about the cost, um, but today I want to drill down on these three things that you, the leader, needs to possess if you have any hope of starting or sustaining a cross-cultural church. Let's go back and start with culture awareness. Now, what do I mean by cultural awareness? I mean the ability to understand your own cultural influences preferences and predispositions. So this is basically your deep understanding of what makes your culture different from others. What makes your culture different from others? Now, for my uh, black and brown brothers and sisters, this will be an easier thing to do because um, typically we are in the minority in spaces that we've been in, jobs that we've had, classes that we've attended. And so we have had to navigate and know the difference between our culture and the culture of the prevailing world. Now, for my white brothers and sisters, this might be a little bit more difficult if you've always been in the majority. Uh, Now, if you have always been in the majority, you might just think what you do is normal. Um, And normal is a dangerous word for those who are pursuing cross-cultural work because what's normal to you is not normal everywhere. Let me give you an example. What does black preaching typically sound like? Think about that for a moment. What does black preaching typically sound like? Many of us, uh, thinking about that, can come up with a character of what that looks like, sounds like. 
um, and everything else. Now, let me ask that in a different way. What does white preaching sound like? What does white preaching sound like? Uh, Now, if you have a more nuanced answer for what white preaching is, and you had a more general, generic answer of what black preaching is, that is an opportunity to grow in your cultural awareness. Uh, Many people, my white brothers and sisters, struggle with this question because what do you mean white preaching? That's just normal preaching. Uh, Well, (laughs) is it Uh, or or is it just normal to you? And so if you are a lead pastor, a leader of a church and you want to start or sustain a cross-cultural reality, you need to start with understanding how your culture is unique and different from everyone else's or at least different from different people groups that what you do isn't normal. It's just what you do. It's not better or worse but it's definitely not the norm that is that all other practices are compared to. So that's the first thing, cultural awareness. Brian Loritz has a uh, fantastic example of cultural awareness in his, uh, he had a wrote a book, uh, Right Color, Wrong Culture, where he had an example of a C1, a C2, or a C3 leader. A C1 is uh, someone who has culturally assimilated um, outside of their race. So he used the example of a Carlton, uh, a black guy from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a character on the show, a black guy whose culture represented the majority white culture. Uh, on the opposite end from a C1 is a C3. A C3 would be somebody who refuses to, to, tra- to change, to refuses to give up any part of their culture. Um, example is like Malcolm X, for example, um, somebody who's intractably who they are will not change. So you have a C1, somebody who's completely assimilated, and a, someone who's a C3, someone who refuses to, to budge. And then in the middle, he says you have a C2. Um, and as an example of a C2, he gives an example of someone like a Will Smith, uh, the person, right? And he, know, he draws from the example of his roles have typically attracted a very diverse audience. White folks and black folks typically like the roles that he plays in various movies. And so he's able to remain who he is while also appealing to those outside of his culture. That is a sign that you have developed a high degree of cultural awareness. You know who you are, yet you also recognize difference around you and able to make room for it and speak to it. That to me is the first qualification for any leader in a cross-cultural work. The second qualification is theological humility. Now, I don't want to set off any red red alarms here, uh, set off any uh, red flags in your mind, but theological humility does not mean that you don't believe anything, that you're willing to to accept anything. It just means that you have a soft-heartedness towards your own biblical understanding. And more importantly, you have a distinction between preferences and biblical convictions. Come on now. Uh, that means that you have the, you know the difference between a preference that you have, which may be based on the Bible, versus a biblical conviction that says this is non-negotiable. Some of you may have heard first tier or second tier issues, right? Um, theological humility says, I believe what I believe, but also am soft hearted enough to be willing to engage in those who disagree with me because there might be something for me to learn. So one example of this in the church planting world is the style of preaching, topical or expositional. Uh, Expositional preaching typically goes through books of the Bible line by line. Topical preaching typically talks about different subjects like marriage or finances or children. 
And so there are some who see expositional preaching as a hard line of biblical conviction, as in, if you don't preach through books of the Bible, you are sinning. I don't think the Bible says that, right? I think there could be a case that expositional preaching may be healthy for your church or good to do, but that would be a biblical preference, not a biblical conviction. Now, that preference might be informed by the scriptures, but it's not sinful to not do those things. And if you are interested in pursuing a cross-culture work in your church, a cross-cultural reality in your local church, you have got to be able to distinguish between a preference and a conviction. A conviction is something that the word of God clearly says something about. A preference is something that from the story of scripture, you're kind of drawing a conclusion, but it's not a thus saith the Lord direct commandment. It doesn't mean that you don't push people towards that understanding. It doesn't mean that you don't believe that or defend that. It just means that you lower your voice in the conversation and you're not combative about these things, but you're willing to learn from others who may disagree with you. If you are, you know, all in on, for example, this comes up a lot. I'm not picking on these guys. If you are all in on the nine marks of a healthy church, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But there's a lot of folks who look at what Mark Dever is doing and they're writing in their whole group. It says, man, all this stuff is so good. As a matter of fact, it's not just good. It's right. And if you don't do church this way, you're wrong. Man, I, I love Mark Never. Um, and I love what he's producing through the Nine Marks organization. I love some of the resources we use, some of those even here at Radiant Church. But there are some things that I think are good, but are not uh, biblical convictions. They're not the only way to live out righteousness and faithfulness in the local church. And so it, you are going to have a hard time if every preference you treat like a conviction. You make no room for discussion. You make no room for conversation. You make no room for listening because the what you believe is right and permanent. I, I think that's it's just going to set you up for a little bit of failure. Once again, what I'm not saying is don't have biblical convictions. What I'm saying is distinguish your preferences from convictions. Singing hymns is not a biblical conviction. At least it should not be. Uh, any style of worship should not be a biblical conviction as long as the content is pointing people towards the truth of Jesus. How you wrap that content, whether it's salsa, uh, R&B, rap or whatever, like I think that's open for discussion and debate. And you can have a preference as a pastor. You can say, I prefer this style of music. But when you make that preference a conviction, as in if you do something outside of this style, you're actually sinning. That is oftentimes one of the biggest barriers to seeing a cross-cultural reality in your church is because you make no room for anyone who does anything different. Now, that theological humility leads to the third qualification for any lead pastor or leader in a local church. Once again, we talked about cultural awareness, being able to see who you are in contrast to the world around you. Theological humility, believing what you believe, but being able to separate preference from conviction and lastly, liturgical inclusivity, liturgical inclusivity. And let me say it this way. Liturgical inclusivity is when a leader has the emotional and spiritual endurance necessary to make room for and even celebrate liturgical expressions that are foreign and maybe even that you don't prefer. Now, here's the weird thing. 
a lead pastor can make changes to worship and rhythms and oftentimes are the, the, the final say in those things. But when you choose not to make a change for the sake of others, that exemplifies liturgical inclusivity. Once again, liturgical inclusivity is the emotional and spiritual endurance necessary to make room for and even celebrate liturgical expressions, expressions that happen in the corporate gathering that are foreign to you and maybe that you don't even prefer. I've said this at at my church several times, and I believe it to be true. Radiant Church is not the church that I would want if I built it for me. There are things that Radiant Church does that I don't particularly prefer. But it's not a church for me, and it's not ultimately my church. And so liturgical inclusivity says there are things that we do in the corporate gathering that I personally would rather not, but it makes room for other people who connect through worship differently, who connect with the word differently, who connect through discipleship systems differently. And so liturgical inclusivity flows out of both a cultural awareness and a theological humility because it's where the rubber meets the road. It says we're going to do things in our corporate gatherings. We're going to do things in our discipleship systems. We're going to do things in our outreach events that are not my preference but actually connect with someone who's of a different culture than me, a different class than me, a different race or gender than me. And I want to make room for them and even celebrate them in some ways. So uh, what does a practical example of liturgical inclusivity look like? (laughs) I heard a story um, reading uh, Dr. Corey Edwards' book uh, when she talks about just why the multi-ethnic church is so hard. She had an example of a woman named Lydia who is an African-American attending a mostly white church. And of course, in this mostly kind of uh, high church, uh, borderline Presbyterian experience, she would bring the tambourine during worship. And she would just go to town on her tambourine with worship because that's how you know, one of the ways that she connected with worship was by participating in the worship experience, not just receiving what's being done from the stage, but actually participating in it, which is not an uncommon thing around the world, not just among African-Americans. And so uh, Dr. Corey Edwards in her book just detailed the struggles of the pastor celebrating this because, hey, but they've he been wanting diversity. He's been pushing for it and he starts to finally get it except it's interrupting service. It's interrupting what people have come to desire in the corporate church gathering. And so this girl, Lydia, would be singing, playing on a tambourine. She'd be shouting aloud, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And she'd be doing these things in service and oftentimes be the only one. Liturgical inclusivity means I'm not just going to talk to Lydia about her being disruptive, I'm going to talk to my church about making room, right? You, you may need to do both. I'm not saying you just let people do whatever they do in their service, but you don't just single out the difference. You also talk to the folks who are part of the church and says, hey, how do we make room for Lydia? How do we make room for that? And so, and so all I'm saying is liturgical inclusivity is where cultural awareness and theological humility get played out is in the corporate gathering. Now, let me say this to my church planners real quick, and then I'm done. Church planners, most of us plant churches because we have an idea of what we want to do, and we want, want it to look like, what we want it to sound like, and we almost want to create these manicured experiences, uh, both in our groups, in our, in our church services, and all the other things. And diversity and difference always finds a way to disrupt our perfectly laid plans. 
And so especially for those who are planting a church, you're planting a church because you have an idea that's a little bit different um, to do something. But when you make room for others, it even will disrupt your plans for the church that you want to plant. And I'm saying to you that it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Once again, our worship service is not the perfect worship service for me, even though I could probably change it in some ways. Because it's, I have to constantly remind myself, this is not my church, it's God's church. And so, in God's church, I believe he wants to reach more people than just me, than just me. So, y'all, that, that's really all I wanted to share today. We're about to dive into some of the, the, the practical realities that you can do in your church from preaching, teaching, leading, worship, all this stuff. But hear me clearly, leaders. If you're a leader in the church, don't just implement programs in your church. Don't just hire people on your staff. Realize that you're going to have to do some work on the inside. You're going to have to develop a cultural awareness where things that you think are normal, you're able to see culturally um, and they're just not invisible to you. You're going to have to develop a theological humility. What are your preferences versus your convictions? What things do you believe that you could actually have fellowship with someone who believes differently? What are those second and third tier issues for you? Or is everything a heresy issue? Is everything a belief issue? Is everything a tier one issue for you? Begin to do that work now. And lastly, realize that your church service needs to reflect more than your preferences. It's going to be maybe quieter than you want. It may be louder than you want. It may have more engagement than you want. It may have less engagement than you want during the service. But either way, liturgical inclusivity says, I'm not just going to design a service for me and people like me. I'm going to design a service for the people in my city. I'm going to design a service for people who have a different culture so that when they come to this place, they see a God that's bigger than the God of their cultural preferences. So hopefully that's been helpful. Hopefully that's been biblical. Hopefully that's been practical. Man, that's our goal. Before I take off, do me a favor, y'all. Go to the Cross Culture website, crossculturecollective.com. There's a contact form at the bottom. Uh, We would love to begin answering some of your specific questions about leading or starting or sustaining uh, churches that want to pursue this cross-cultural reality. Or we would love just some feedback on what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. We just want to learn as we continue to produce these conversations for you. So uh, go visit the website, crossculturecollective.com, and hopefully me and Pastor Will will be back next week. Thank y'all. Hey, thanks for joining our conversation today. This podcast is a resource of the Cross Culture Collective. If you want to learn more about who we are or what we're up to, you can visit us online at crossculturecollective.com or on all the socials at the Cross Culture Collective.